thank you um, for just worship this morning. Thank you for Steve and Autumn and Santosh and how they, they just bring a sense of, of leading us into your presence. Uh, God, I pray that you would do what we prayed during worship, that you'd clear away the clutter, that you would help us to hear what you're saying to each one of us today. God, I, I do pray uh, just a grace of your spirit, an anointing on me to, to speak, that the things that are said would encourage hearts, would challenge hearts, would strengthen hearts. God, I pray for those listening that they would hear what your spirit is saying to each one of us. God, it's wild to me that we sit in a room together and we all hear specifically what you want to say to each one of us. And it's an amazing thing that you can speak to many all at one time. So we invite you to do that right now. So strengthen our hearts and help us to discover something about who you are, your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Revelation chapter 3. Um, if you don't have notes, we do do the printouts, and you're welcome to grab one of those. Help you to track along a little bit. It has some scriptures and areas to write additional notes in there. Um, we are in the sixth now of seven churches. We're going to be talking about the church at Philadelphia this morning. Um, this is the Church of Brotherly Love. The, the title of the sermon is, I Have Loved You, because Jesus says in this message, they're going to know my favor upon you and that I have loved you. How many of you guys know it's a good thing to be loved by God? How many of you know it's easy for us to do a lot of things that aren't loving that look like church? Now, this is the only, they say the only, the only of the seven churches that gets total like way to go. Now, Smyrna got way to go, but they were being persecuted. This one is like, you guys are just awesome. You're doing ministry the way Jesus wants you to do ministry. You know the biggest challenge about studying the Church of Philadelphia? Watch, watch. Come on. What do you think the challenge is? Come on, church. Wake up. I sombered you to sleep with Steve's worship. What do you think the biggest challenge is? We all think we're Philadelphia. That's what we all think. We all think we're the top of the heap. You know that if you think you're the top of the heap, that generally means that you aren't because it's full of arrogance. And you're going to see when we study this letter that, that Jesus is going to say, man, you had little strength. Like there's something powerful about the way you approach faith. So let's walk through some of the things that we've done with all the churches. Remember when we study these churches, they are literal churches. They are actual churches that were in the cities that we're referencing. Philadelphia was a city in, in Asia Minor which is modern-day Turkey. It was destroyed by earthquakes. We'll talk about that in just a second. So it doesn't exist as a city anymore other than ruins. It's also a figurative church, which means that there's aspects of Philadelphia that apply to every church. Come on, church, say every church. Say, I'm Philadelphia, but I'm also Smyrna, and I'm also Ephesus. So there's a trait of all of them in our church right now. That's how it works. So when you're looking at this, not only were they literal churches, they're also fig figurative churches, and they're also historical in nature. So you can look at them, and you can look at different periods of church history and how that particular church referenced what was going on in the world at that time. So when we talked about Ephesus, that was the early church, first century. They left their first love, and, and Jesus redirects them. Smyrna was the persecuted church. That's about 100 AD to 300 or so, 312. They were the persecuted church. And if you study church history, you'll find that they were like just mangled and brutalized and murdered and just terrible things happening to them. 
Pergamum, when we studied this, remember the, the monogamy, the Pergamum is Pergamos, it's the immoral marriage. So Jesus was correcting that the church had married the world. Now, is that alive and well in, in America today? Yes, it is. So when you're looking at these, these are all happening somewhere around us. And then Thyatira was the idolatrous church. They allowed a lot of worldly influence. And last week we talked about Sardis. I had several people say to me, that was a hard message, Pastor. I'm like, yeah, it's a hard message to give too. But I'm hoping that as we study these, we wake up to the areas that we're not paying attention to. That maybe, just maybe, Jesus is both encouraging us in some places and maybe even correcting us in others. That we're listening to what he's saying to us. So last week we talked about Sardis. This is, and I'm just doing recap and then we're going to jump into Philadelphia. Luther submits his 95th thesis, which was really a, a rebuke of the Catholic Church for indulgences, which was the purchasing of forgiveness. Now, how many of you guys would like to be able to just live all crazy, walk into church, drive five bu- drop five bucks in the box, and just be okay with God? Now, I'm glad none of you are shaking your heads yes. I really am. But this was what they were doing, and the, the priests were lining their pockets, and the people were living completely worldly, and Luther shows up and says, this shouldn't be like this. Now, what we don't understand is that was the launch of what we see the modern church movement. It was the Protestant Reformation. In other words, those who protested against the inaccurate theology and doctrine of the Catholic Church. Now, I said this last week. I'll say it again this week. The Catholic Church is not evil. There are aspects of their theology that is very inaccurate. However, (laughs) you guys are going to be shocked by this. It is the largest, say the largest, grouping of Christians in the world. Okay, so it's not a small movement. You take away the Catholic Church, the Christianity is not the biggest faith system in the world. So it's not all evil. Jesus never throws out the baby with the bathwater. Somebody say amen, because that means I might have gotten thrown out as well. So Luther does this, and he corrects them. And then you see the launching or the release of Martin Luther, John Calvin. Anybody ever heard of Calvinism? Reformed churches, reformed theology. I'm going to talk about it in a second. That is the movement that came out of Luther's thesis. Now, I did some studying. Those two guys never knew each other, even though they were contemporaries. So they lived at the same time. Well, Calvin was really, really extreme. There was another guy who was Jacobus Arminius. You're like, okay, you're going to get all technical only for a few minutes. You're going to get a history lesson for a few minutes. And I'm going to tell you why the history lesson is important, because it impacts you today whether you realize it or not. So sometimes when I do this, people go, Pastor, you're way over my head. I don't get it. You know, I thought the same thing the first time I heard this stuff. What I'm trying to do is equip you to understand when you look at different churches, like how many has ever been in a church where they said, we don't believe that the Holy Spirit moves at all today? Anybody ever been in a church? No gifts. Those ceased at the church age. No gifts. Okay, I'm a little curious that you've got a pastor and a teacher. How come those gifts lived? But the, and he's teaching you that the rest did not. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. But that's what you're seeing birth out of this season. So when you look at Calvinism, it's really, really places the sovereignty of God at the top rung of the ladder. Is that a bad thing? No, it's not. But what it does is it places the sovereignty of God and it removes the sovereignty of man. So man doesn't have a will. God chooses you. 
and you have nothing to say about it. And I'm going to show you that in a second. I'll explain it in a little more detail. By the way, if you're a Calvinist, don't get mad at me. I love you to pieces. If you're a once saved, always saved, I love you to pieces. But you got to grapple with the scriptures that say the contrary. And they're Jesus's words, not pastor's opinion. So when you look at this stuff, remember, all theology, all doctrine is usually born out of somebody's experience and then usually trying to support it, oftentimes without the support of scripture. So I say this to you over and over, stay in the scriptures, that way you can test and prove the things that are accurate or inaccurate. So Calvinism, there's five points of Calvinism. This will be quick. I'm only telling you this because it impacts you today. I don't expect you to remember it entirely, but to have some knowledge. So the first thing is Calvinism believes in total depravity. In other words, man is dead in trespass and sin. That accurate biblically? It is. The problem is, is they take that to an extreme that you have no way of finding God at all. You have no play in this. You're totally sinful, dead in trespass and sin. They believe in unconditional election, which means this. If God chooses you, watch, you can't say no. How many of you met people who say no to God? Come on, we're all in the room. Let's be honest. How many of you have said no to God? So there's a, a now they, they would say this. Well, then God didn't choose them. Okay, now this has been my argument right along every time I talk to somebody. Well, if God chose some for salvation and he didn't chose, choose others for salvation, doesn't that therefore mean that he chose some for hell? Their answer will be no. How do you get that? Well, because God is sovereign. God knew beforehand. And I'm kind of like, okay, that's a little bit curious to me because I see scriptures that explain this both ways. This is impacting you in your everyday faith. The reason I'm saying that is some of you think this, I can come to the altar, give a 30-second prayer, and it's good enough for eternity. That's not, you should have a lifestyle change. It should be flipping over. The other thing that, that they believe is they believe in limited atonement, that the, the, sin, the sins or the covering of Jesus' blood is only effective for those who are Christians. I know scriptures that are contrary to that, but it makes a little sense that if you're a believer, Forgiveness applies to you. They believe in irresistible grace. In other words, it doesn't matter if God draws you, you can't push away from it. You can't say no. So where is the will of man in this equation? I, I don't know. And they also believe in the perseverance of the saints, that once God's got you, there's no way at all that you could ever get out of his hand. By the way, I like that. How many of you guys like the idea that there's no way you can get away from God? Come on, let's just be honest. I like that. But when I read scriptures like we studied last week, make sure you pay attention so that your name's not blotted out. Okay, how do I reconcile that verse with this idea that I can never get away? So I'm just suggesting to you that maybe the doctrine's a little extreme, even though I don't think it's totally inaccurate. But it's impacting you today, whether you realize it or not. How many of you guys have friends that live like hell, but they call themselves Christians? All of us? Can we all raise our hands right now? All of us would say this is true. The reason they believe that is because somewhere along the line, they were taught, I just need to say a prayer and I'm good. Now, if you talk to most reformists, they, they wouldn't hold what I just said. They would say, no, there's got to be an expression, some connection. Now, Arminius battled against this. Don't remember the names, just remember the principles. Okay, this will be quick, and then I'll move into the, the actual text. Again, it's impacting you. So they believe this, that election was based on rational faith of each individual. In other words, you had to make a choice. How many of you guys know that you had to make a choice? I'm not of the opinion that God chose you and you didn't have any say in it. 
I do think this, though. The scriptures say that no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. But I've met plenty of people when the Spirit draws them, they just say no. I've also met plenty that have said yes. So I think that's a little bit more balanced view. Atonement was enough for every person, but only effective to the believer. They're actually the same in that respect. Both of them believe the same. Without the Holy Spirit, no person can respond to God's will. I think I just said that. No one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So there's a, an engagement of God with the person's will. Grace is not irresistible. People can say no. How many of you guys have preached to people and they're on the doorstep of eternity and they say no? Maybe all of us in the room at some point, we've known somebody like that. And believers can resist sin, but they can also walk away from God. So you've got the strength to resist sin, but you can also say no and do whatever you want. How many of you, come on, let's just be honest for a second. You faced sin and God said, don't do it. And you went, eh, I think I'm going to do it anyways. All of us in the room, listen, maybe it wasn't chasing the girl or going out and getting drunk. Maybe it's just an attitude. Maybe it was just the way that we managed our heart. And most often what I find with believers is our sin is not gross. Our sin is internal. Our sin is little acts of the will. So I would say this. This debate is still alive and well. Neither of these groups are evil. Both of them are Jesus lovers. But it's impacting the way that you see faith. Because how many of you guys are on TikTok? Come on. Instagram? Come on. And you come across people preaching. You're like, ooh, that sounds good. And you listen to it. And if you're not theologically astute, you're listening to stuff that's born out of these ideas. And you're like, ooh, I like that. Ooh, I disagree with that. You don't even know why. This was all the way back from this church that was saying, hey, we need to go back to the scriptures. We need to go back to grace. So this is what came out of Sardis, that historic period. That leads us now to Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia, listen, is a remarkable expression of church movement. It's known as the missional church. That means there's stuff happening in Philadelphia that was the work of Jesus. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. You watch this season of church history start to move outward instead of inward. Anybody ever heard of the Great Awakenings? Okay, the Great Awakenings are remarkable. They happened around 1750. They're right around the time of, listen, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. Many scholars believe that these expressions of, of releases of faith played into those, at least in American history. So I want to give you just a few, just quick. Just humor me. If you're not a Bible student, if you're not a history student, don't totally ignore me, but just for a second. Names like Jonathan Edwards. Ever heard of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? It's one of the most prominent sermons ever preached. He was the initiator of the first great awakening. Listen, this guy was brilliant. Attended Yale at 13 years old. Incidentally, Yale was a Christian college, as was Princeton, as was Harvard, all of the Ivy League. Today, they are not. These were all birthed out of movements of faith. He said this in this, this sermon he preached, Every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he will escape it. No one thinks they're going to hell. That's what he just said. If you want to go look that one up, I told you to look up Luther's thesis. Go look this sermon up. It's remarkable. Well written. It's documented all over. You can find it on the internet. It's very powerful. No, there wasn't YouTube, so you're not going to get it preached. You've got to read it. Okay, so for whatever it's worth, maybe somebody else reading it for you. How about John and Charles Wesley? You ever heard of the Methodist Church? 
They had a method for studying the Bible. This is in this same period of time. There's a release of the Spirit of God. George Whitfield, he was an emotional, an emotional preacher. This guy was also a Calvinist, which is kind of ironic because he was an evangelist, and most Calvinists believe that God kind of captures you. Why evangelize? So it's kind of a, a dichotomy there. Now, what's interesting is Wesley was not. Wesley was a guy who believed that you had to stay walking with God. These guys were friends, even though they disagreed. So you watch this, this expression of doctrine, but they still came together in this idea that Jesus rescues people, the Methodist church's birth. And George Whitfield and Wesley, they're friends. Charles Finney, he led the Second Great Awakening. He was opposed to Calvinism now. Finney was an abolitionist against slavery. He rejected communion if you were a slave owner. Could you imagine? Watch, could you imagine? We have communion today. Just for a second, let's just imagine. You have communion today. You walk in and you're living a lifestyle that we know is against God. You're doing something. And we go, well, you know, if you're struggling with pornography, you can't take communion. If you're struggling with lust, you can't take communion. This is, listen, this is a strong political stand saying slavery is what? It's evil. It's wrong. And you're going to watch this happen with all of these guys. Now, again, I'm telling you the church history because what you don't understand is it impacts the way that you worship today. For some of you, you'll grab this and go, that's cool stuff. Others will be like, it's over my head, Pastor. It's okay. I'm almost done. Then we'll actually be in the text. So just hang with me for a few more seconds. You have David Livingston. Anybody ever heard the Livingston, I presume? You know what that's about? He was a missionary to Africa, and he gave himself to the Africans. He's the only white guy there. So when they went looking for him because he went missing, every white guy they came up to, they said, Livingston, I presume, because there aren't any white guys in Africa. He, he was sick all throughout his ministry. He got dysentery, all sorts of stuff. He so loved the African people that when he died, they took his heart out and buried it in Africa, but his body is buried in Westminster Abbey. He was so given, listen, to the missional work of the gospel that they said his heart belonged to Africa, and they buried it in Africa when he died. Hudson Taylor, who founded China Inland Mission, all the missionary work there. George Mueller, all the orphans in Bristol, England, never asked for a donation and cared for more people. Like when they needed milk, he would pray and milk would show up on the doorstep. Hey, we had extra and we, don't, we didn't want to throw it away, so we're going to give it to you. And he was known for building orphanages, caring for literally hundreds of kids, never asked anybody for money, and God just provided. He's the guy that's known for this. He had two friends that were not saved, and he prayed for them and prayed for them and prayed for them. And somebody said, why do you always pray for these guys? He said this, I do not believe that God would have put them on my heart had he not intended to save them. One of them got saved at his funeral and the other shortly after. He demonstrated the power of prayer by how he lived. William Carey, mission India, missionary to India. He translated the New Testament into Bengali, did powerful work there. Andrew Mur Mur Murray, I'm choking on my own tongue here, missionary to South Africa, wrote Abide in Christ along with other great works. These are all like champions of faith. So you have all these revivals, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the third great awakening, Whitfield, Wesley, Edwards, Charles Finney. You have the Welsh revival getting into the early 1900s. How about Azusa Street? Anybody ever heard of Charles Seymour? Incidentally, you worship in a church that's culture came from the Azusa Street revival. What do I mean when I say that? We are a charismatic church. 
That means we believe the gifts of the Spirit are operational today. Prophecy, tongues, healing, whatever. All of those gifts are operational. That was a release of the Spirit of God that happened in the early 1900s. Your pastor, say your pastor, grappled with this really hard because I was trying to discover how does the Spirit work today? So when you're around our church, we, this is the term we put to spiritual life in our church. We're naturally supernatural. I don't believe, I'm of the opinion, it does not have to be weird to be God. So do we do prophetic words? Yeah, often. Do we speak in tongues? We do, unabashedly. Do we do it all the time from the front? No, because we're not weird. And I'm not saying that I think that's weird. Our church culture lives in a lane that God has called us to live in. You get me outside of here, and I'm a little bit crazier, I'm just saying. Get me in Thailand, you'll see a different expression of the way that I operate. But here I'm called to pastor this in a certain way, and I do that. But that was born out of this experience at the Azusa Street Revival. The Pentecostal, the charismatic movements were born there. Anybody ever heard of Oral Roberts? Okay, Uh, William Branham, Gordon Lindsay. These are all healing revivalists post-World War II. Again, these are all the releases of the spirit that are happening that get us to the current day. Billy Graham? Hello, anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Anybody ever been to a Billy Graham crusade? It was the coolest thing. I went to the last one he did at the Rose Bowl. We actually worked it. Uh, our, our team, I was the executive pastor of Water of Life. Our team was in charge of all of the cash flows. Like we had to count the offering. It was kind of weird and it was a, kind of an honor. And same time, like, wow, this is crazy. And there were like literally ten, tens of churches and hundreds of people helping them sort all that out. But I listened to Billy Graham preach. And when he was done, he did an altar call. And I'm sitting there. He only preached like 15 minutes. He was an old, like they wheeled him up to the, the podium. He couldn't stand. That's how old he was in his 80s. And he's sitting there preaching, and he, and he finishes. He gives an altar call, and people just go down in droves. And I'm sitting with a pastor friend, and I look at Zach Coast, and I look over at Zach. I go, Zach, I go, did I miss something? And he starts laughing. I go, what was so compelling about what he just said? And the answer is this, nothing. The Spirit of God moved through him that way. He had a gift of evangelism that when he spoke, People came out, listen, if you study this, you'll find that bars closed. You'll find that taverns became churches. You'll find that businesses closed because they they did sinful activity and the people stopped sinning. There was one story where where the donkeys wouldn't respond to the miners anymore because the miners used to direct them with foul language and they cleaned up their language and the donkeys wouldn't listen anymore. I mean, stuff like that is hilarious to me, but God doing stuff, cleaning. How about the Jesus people movement? Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, my brother Steve got saved in a Calvary Chapel tent meeting, led you in worship this morning. This impacts you today. So when you look at this church of Philadelphia, you need to think this way. All of that lineage is part of how I worship today. Whether you realize it or not, it impacts what you like, what you dislike, the songs that you gravitate toward, the ones that you struggle with. All of that, it plays into the way that you worship. So that brings us to the church at Philadelphia, the missional church. Romans 3, verse 7, and we're just going to jump in. I did skip a whole bunch of other notes. Maybe I'll include them in another sermon, but I can tell that's a lot of history for you. I'll say, Pastor, that's a lot of history. With the summary of it being this, I just want to wet your whistle for all of what God did over the last several hundred years is not accidental. He did it intentionally to to reveal himself to us. 
That's all that that's about. That's why I told you all of that journey. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and it says to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? So a little bit of background on Philadelphia. It's known as the, the city or the church of brotherly love. So it's actually, that is actually the root of the words in the Greek. Um, it was the doorway to the other cities in Asia Minor. So lots of people traveled through there as they were heading to the other cities. It was a very wealthy place. It was also a center of paganism and pagan temples like Zeus was there. Dionysus was there, which was the goddess of wine. Um, makes sense because there was lots of vineyards. That was part of how they made their wealth. It was rich in volcanic ash, which is great soil, and they grew vineyards there, so there was lots of wine. It had so many temples that it was referred to as Little Athens. Pagan temples were so plentiful here that it's referred to as the temple warden, in fact, called the emperor the son of the Holy One, which is a direct affront to Jesus, who really is the son of of the Holy One. So you've got all these tensions and plays that are going on here, and you're going to see that as we start to study the verses. So it was satanic. Philadelphia was destroyed by earthquakes um, not long after the letter was, went to that particular church. Okay, so now let's walk through some of the aspects of the church that we talk about with every one of these churches. And the first one is this. There's always a description of Christ. So what is the description of Christ in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, it says to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this. So he's holy, he's separate, he's otherly, he's set apart. So when we talk about God, when we say that God is holy, we understand that he's different. That's literally what the word holy means. He doesn't operate the way we operate. Now, he also calls us holy, which is amazing. Would you guys agree? Because sometimes we still operate like us, amen? But he says, you're like me. My deposit is upon you. I'm an otherly God. I do things differently than you do. He says, who is true? Now, what this is talking about is it's Jesus speaking, and it's Jesus saying that my name and my resemblance and my nature, they all point to God. See, this is important because if you're ever around people or yourself, you're ever questioning, is Jesus the Son of God? What did he do? What was his manner? How did he act? How did he behave? God is holy. Jesus is holy. God is truth. Jesus is truth. Everything Jesus did resembled, he said, listen, even Jesus himself said, I only do the things that the Father shows me to do. Man, don't we wish we were all that obedient, huh? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, oh, Jesus said this, give away all your money. Perfect. Jesus said, Jesus said, go to Thailand. Let's go. Sell all your stuff and live there. We'd be like, well, Jesus, can we talk a little bit? Here, God, wouldn't we? But wouldn't it be cool to be that surrendered and submitted, that obedient? But that's what Jesus did, and that's how he was with the Father. And then it says this, he holds the key of David, which this is a title of Christ, the, the Messiah, the anointed one. See, David was the beloved king or the Messiah of Israel not the Messiah, the king who would usher in the Messiah. From his lineage, Jesus would come. And we know that as we add into Christmas, we study the genealogies and so forth. But the first time we see evidence of this idea of Kia David is in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, which incidentally, you're going to recognize these as Christmas scriptures. So Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, you guys have that? Yeah, you do. So, for a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So you see in this verse, he says that he's going to uphold righteousness and justice for all men forevermore. There isn't anybody who's ever lived that has a forevermore that's an earthly person. So when some people say, well, this was a prophecy about a king who was going to have a kid, there was no kid that was that great or righteous or worthy unless you point this toward Jesus. Then you find that it, it is speaking of Jesus, and it's on the throne of David, which is one of the keys of David. Isaiah also prophesies this, Isaiah 22 and 23. He says, then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. And when he opens, no one will shut. You're going to see this language more when we get back into Revelation. Um, no one will shut. And when he shuts, no one will open. And I will drive him like a peg in a firm place. And he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. Where is Jesus seated today? At the right hand. See, this is all messianic. This is all Christological. This is who Christ is. Now you guys are like, Pastor, that's a lot of history, and you're kind of just talking, jack, 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 you're talking. I'm waking you all up now, so pay attention, waking you all up. This idea of keys to the kingdom is super important for your well-being in Christ. So when Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to give you, as the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, going to give you the keys of David. I'm the one who possesses the key. I'm going to give you the key so that you can operate with the authority that I've, I've entrusted. Listen to the church. Somebody say, somebody say this with me. I have authority because I'm in Christ. Man, so often we don't operate like people of authority. We run in fear. We run in confusion, uncertainty. We grapple with lots of things. I'm speaking of myself as well. I don't know anybody alive who doesn't wrestle with their humanity when compared to the righteousness of God. Hello. But he's saying, listen, I want you to walk in authority. So there's two keys. and There could be more. I'm only going to focus on two of them right now. The first one is this. The key has heavenly authority that exists on earth. So in Matthew 16, Jesus said this. 16, 19, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What, where are you going to get keys to? Okay, okay, so that means there's, there's something about purity, righteousness, no sin, etc. Kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth... Say, bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, loose on earth, come on, shall be loose in heaven. Then he warned the disciples, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Now, that, that's really an interesting statement because he didn't want people to start bombarding him so quickly. But what you've got going on here, you should think like this as a believer. When you bind something in the name of God, and I mean something that honors God, I don't want you to go bind a Cadillac. You get what I'm saying? I don't think God wants us all to have Cadillacs. They're, they're nice cars, don't get me wrong. If you own a Caddy, I ain't throwing no stones at you. My dad had a red, white convertible top 74. I wish I still had it. Beautiful car. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you bind releases of God's possibility over people's lives, God said, Jesus said this, I've given you that authority. So what does that mean exactly, Pastor? It means that when you believe for the things of God over your family, over your church, over your friends, over your children, God says, when you bind it in heaven, I'll loose it on earth for you. Listen, we've prayed this over our own kids, 
and we watch a, a raising up of the Spirit of God in our kids, and I just kind of sit back and go, thank you, Jesus. And listen, if you're in the spot where your kids haven't grabbed that, keep praying. Somebody say amen. amen. Keep binding and loosing over them because God wants them to discover his goodness as well. So this is about heavenly authority that you possess on earth. The keys of heaven, they bind and they loose. They loose the kingdom of God on the things that you're praying for. I would encourage you to do this. God, what do you want to loose? And how can I partner with you to release it? Some of that, listen, is going to be prayer. Somebody say prayer. prayer. Some of it's going to be prayer. Some parts of it are going to be things that you're going to do. What? Watch, I'm going to tell on some of you right now. Like Sometimes Jesus is going to tell you that you should shut up. He's going to tell you that. He's going to say, you shouldn't say anything right now. I wish I were better at what I'm saying right now. I open my mouth and I stick my foot in it very often. I, I use mints because I have shoe leather breath. That's the truth. You know, I'm just saying. You should ask God what it is. And if he says be quiet, then you should love well, not talk well. Thank you. I got one aim to discern. Jesus, what are you up to? So that I can bind what you're binding and loose what you're loosing. Amen? But this is an authority that's been given to you by God. So when we're talking about keys of David, Jesus possessed them, and then he released them to you. The second part of this key is the power of life over death. In Revelation 1.18, he says, Jesus says of himself, I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and to Hades. He's saying, listen, when I died on the cross, I took authority over death. So what does that mean for you? That Jesus is the author of life, and he owns the keys to death. That means he's given you a grace. Say, I've got grace. To tell people about the love of God. That's it, man. You realize that you're supposed to be a living billboard, man. You're supposed to be a living testimony, a walking testimony. Sometimes you speak, sometimes you live. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes it's yours to say, you need Jesus. Other times it's yours to bring a turkey. You're like, bring a turkey? You'd be surprised. You feed people, they get all kinds of like gooey. Like, I can't believe they fed me. Offer to help people with just random stuff. Serve them, run them to the doctor. Do things that are not convenient for you. But you're just loving them. You're operating in brotherly. Think like this. If I were in their situation, would I want somebody to help? That's how you should think. That's how you should think. If I were them, would I want somebody to say, I can do that for you. I could help you. I could serve you. I could love you without saying words. I love that saying, preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. That's powerful. That's how we should live as the church. I'm a little bit concerned, say pastor's concerned. That usually means he's going to give me a two by four. <laughs> I'm a little concerned that we've gotten too comfortable with each other as a church and not outward enough, not otherly enough, not worried about the lost enough, not seeing people that are lost or on their way to hell and, and unwilling to love them or speak the truth or, or to step outside of what the, the mainstream of culture is saying about this thing. You know, what's amazing about Jesus is oftentimes when he was loving us, he was correcting us. How many of you guys have felt loved by Jesus because he corrected you? Come on. I think every one of us in the room. Because he's preventing you from destruction. Sometimes loving somebody means speaking the truth. 
Sometimes it means just being there. Presence is powerful. It's really powerful. I'm asking you, listen. Like I prayed before we started. I said, I want us to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to each one of us. So what's God asking you to do in your world? With your family members, your loved ones, your uncles, your aunts, your brothers, your sisters, your coworkers, the people that you're around, are you shining light? I know you're saved. That's not what I'm questioning. Are you shining that same light? Are you concerned about people who are lost? Because listen, Jesus said this, I've given you a key. I'm the author of life, and I have power over death, and I'm the one who's given you the key to go shine that light to go experience that truth, to go profess that truth. We should be living like that. Amen? Amen. Okay, that wasn't too bad a two-by-four, was it? I was a little bit nice? Yeah, two-by-two. wasn't a two-by-four. <laughs> okay, the next thing is this. It, it, so we see the description of Jesus. Now we see the commendation. So the commendation is Philadelphia is so rich. Um, listen, I have to do this one in segments. There's going to be several different times that I have to go through this because they were doing so much right that Jesus just keeps saying, way to go, way to go, way to go. So verse 8, let's jump in in verse 8. He says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door that no one can shut because you have little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus says, I know, I perceive, I observe how you live and my observation says this, way to go. Man, come on, talk to me, church. If Jesus was watching your life, what would he say? I mean, that's telling, isn't it? When you were like, he's watching like, ooh, man, I don't know. I'm not in on that one. Or would he be going, way to go, way to go. Be a little riskier. Start, yeah, you, I think we could all do better. Can we agree with that? But that's what Jesus is looking. He's saying, listen, I'm watching how you guys are doing life, church. And his statement is, way to go. You are doing great. He watched their experience. He said, your deeds, the energy that you're putting out is good. Now, listen, listen. I want to say something to you, church. Just listen. Take it as it applies. This is this. We put energy into things we value. Amen? Like, I value my kids. I put energy in. I value the church. I put energy in. I value my marriage. I put energy in. doesn't matter what it is. Things that you value, you put energy into. Listen, be careful not to value things that Jesus doesn't value. I'll tell you, the biggest crime we experience in American culture today, our opinion is highly valued. I don't think it should be as highly valued as we value it. Get on social media, and you start to say, this is what I think. Maybe it's not necessary. Maybe it is. I don't know. Just for you. Value the things that God wants you to value. Stay away from the, the freedom, the selfish stuff, the my person, my body. Like we value ourselves. We're putting up stuff. Selfies are like the, the most taken picture, period. Because we're so self-consumed as a culture. Listen, I know that that's wired into us some, but I don't know that that's holy or good. So let's I just, again, putting it in front of you, wrestle it around a little bit. He says this, I put in front of you an open door. It's literally a pathway or an opportunity. You know that God has put in front of you open doors, pathways, and opportunities. So, but it takes discernment to recognize them, doesn't it, church? I'm encouraging you. God is talking, be discerning. Like, it's important. This open door idea is this. It metaphorically means this, to keep Jesus in the proper position. If he's first... He's first. So don't put him third, fourth, fifth, eighth, tenth. Keep him first. 
None of us does that perfect, amen? But when you're aspiring to that and you're driving toward that, God is pleased with that. Nobody's perfect. I keep saying this because I caught this, this quote from Pastor Linda, and it's, he's not looking for perfection. Perfection is looking for excellence. He wants our best. Keep giving him your best. Let him take care of the outcome. He says, you have little power. Now, now this one's really interesting. How many of you guys feel like you're kind of weak? Nobody would listen to me anyways. What's the point? Okay, maybe some of you think, everybody should listen to me. <laughs> no, I don't know. But when he's saying this, you have little power, he's not saying to them that they're weak. That's in the Greek, that's not what it's saying. He's saying you have a right view of yourself. Because you're not full of yourself is actually what Jesus is saying. You have little power. It means that they were humble. Man, is humility hard, church? How many, how many D folk, type A personalities do I have in the room? Come on, lift your hand with me. Can we all say we need help with pride, Jesus, please? Because all of us struggle with that. We struggle with being humble. As you lay it down, God builds you up. But man, he's saying, listen, keep Jesus in the proper state. Live as a person of weakness. See, Jesus is saying that they were humble and they were trusting his power. Listen, not their own. Like, I'm a get-or-done guy. How many guys are get-or-done people? Ooh, and if I can get her done, then I'd get her done. And Jesus wants that. Sometimes, you know, Jesus doesn't want you to get her done. He just doesn't. Sometimes he wants you to actually take the control off. He does. But that takes what? Discernment. Takes listening. What I'm encouraging you to do is learn to listen better. He's saying, listen, you're small. You're, you're, you have little power, but this is all about perspective. He said, you've kept, you've adhered to my word, which is the communication of God and the person of Jesus. He said, you've done so well with this that you've not gotten distracted from it. You've adhered yourself to not only the word of God, but you've adhered yourself to the person. Who's the person, you guys? This is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. They adhere, he's saying, way to go. You haven't gotten sidetracked on doctrinal issues. You haven't gotten sidetracked on, on things that are good, but they're not great. Things that are, are valuable, but they're not important. Like, they're not getting off track. He's saying, you kept the main thing, the main thing. So listen, three ways. Three ways that you can grow in your faith, three ways, and, and just try to keep Jesus first. The first one is this, is you have to know the word. I can't emphasize this enough, church. Just keep that on the board there. You have to know the word. You've got to know the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's good for reproof, correction, teaching, and training of right in righteousness so that the man or one of God will be thoroughly equipped. Listen, you have to know the word, and then you have to keep it. Hello? I, I know what to do, but I don't want to do it. That's dangerous. So the, the way to grow, you got to know the word. What does Jesus think? you got to keep the word. He thinks this, so I will do this. Listen, in our culture of universalism, like that was the piece of the sermon I didn't give to you guys, universalism is all over the place within the church today. Watch, it sounds something like this. Why is this church so stuffy on like LGBTQ and homosexuality? Why won't they just let them be? Like if they want to marry each other, just let them. Universalism, that's where that's coming from. Liberalism, that's where that's coming from. All roads lead to God, that's where that's coming from. But if you know his word and you keep his word, you know that those things do not line up with his word. 
So it's so important that we don't just like, I'm not talking about beating people with the truth. I'm talking about not compromising the truth. Amen. You can love the sinner and reject the sin. Amen. You can. And the scriptures tell us that we're supposed to do that. We're not just supposed to embrace sinful lifestyle. And the last thing is this. You should know him. Like, literally, you should know him. Like, listen, when I'm talking to you about this stuff, and I'm saying you should know him, you should know how he speaks. You should know what he sounds like. You should know what he thinks is right and wrong. You're like, I should? You're a Christian, aren't you? The spirit of the living God, listen to me, the spirit of the living God lives in you. You don't go to a temple. Listen, you are the temple. So if you're the temple, and he lives in you, and he speaks in the temple, we should know what he thinks. If you know his word and you keep his word and you build a relationship with him, listen, your faith will grow. But I, this is what I watch. I watch anemic Christians. I love you all. I love I'm going to say something mean right now. Say, Pastor still loves me, though. Listen, some of you, the only time you ever see a scripture is when it's on the screen. You don't ever open your Bibles. You don't ever sit with the Lord. You don't ever read it. You don't ever desire to get to know him. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to say God has better for you. He has better for you. Listen, the word of God is the, the guideline. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It is the thing, the thing, not a thing, the thing that he says, if you know the word, you will know me. And if you know me, you'll hear me. John chapter 10, my sheep know me. They hear my voice and they follow. So when people say, I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what it sounds like. I don't judge them for that. I just say, okay, let's talk about, are you in the word at all? Because one of the ways you learn how to hear how God speaks is you know what he's spoken. <laughs> you know, there's some stuff he's already said. Somebody say amen. And then when he starts speaking, he'll never contradict what he's already said. Amen. He just doesn't do that. So if you want to grow, you got to know the word. you got to obey the word. And then you got to get to know him. Listen, please get this. Please get this. I don't do this perfectly, but I'm pretty consistent pretty consistent. Not perfect. Say, pastor's not perfect. And he ain't saying he is. I'm in the Bible every day. Sometimes a whole bunch, sometimes a little bit. But it is every day. Every day. And sometimes it gets interrupted, so it's not very long. Sometimes it's a few minutes, and then people are awake, and I'm like, darn it, should have got up earlier. And then other times, it is hours. I'm not saying that to say, oh, way to go, pastor. I'm telling you, listen, I know him because I spend time with him. And even at that, I sit in the back and worship like I encourage you guys and said, Jesus, what are you saying? So if a guy who knows the word is having a hard time hearing Jesus, that means if you're never in the word, you're probably not hearing anything at all. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to help you grow. Just trying to help you grow. It's like, listen, Jesus would never like, I'm so worried about offending you guys. right? I don't want to offend you. Jesus would never walk in the room and say, it's okay to be just kind of whatever. He would never do that. He just wouldn't do it. He wouldn't walk in and go, you know, I know you're not a morning person, so maybe you can read your Bible. And, oh, I know you had a long day and you spent three hours on social media and, and you listen to a few people talking about the Bible, so that'll count. It's, it's not, that's not, he's, listen, he's never going to do that. Those things are not evil. Man, I catch things on social media, and I'm like, wow, that's really smart. Man, I caught one with a guy landing a plane, and the, the pilot passed out, and the, the, the tower guy just kept saying, 
follow my voice. If you follow my voice, I'll get you home safely. And he tells the story of a guy who's not a pilot listening to his voice, and the guy survives because he listens the whole time. I, man, it was so good. I sent it to my daughter. I'm like, you got to live. This is awesome. If you listen to his voice, you'll be safe. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. That guy who was not a pilot had to still land that stupid plane, not knowing how to do it. He's funny. He goes, he goes when I landed the plane, he said, I landed it seven times. <laughs> you know, that. But he listened to the voice, so he was safe. He was saved. Listen, I'm not just saying this. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to say there's more. He has more for you. And he wants to give it. But God has this weird kind of thing. He wants relationship with us. Like, I think it's, it's crazy. Like, he could, he could just walk up to Gonzalo and go, you know everything. There you go. Everything for, for godliness in Christ Jesus. You got it. Which, by the way, is a spiritual truth because he's already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Problem is he lives in earthly ones. Amen. You know, so he can do that. But that's not what he does. He says, walk with me. Discover me. Learn my ways. Which means if you're going to learn his ways, it means sometimes you're doing the wrong stuff because you're doing your ways. The only way you discover his ways is by walking with him. Is that easy? No. It's not. If it was easy, everybody would do it. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes sacrifice. It takes discipline. Sometimes it takes doing what, you, what Jesus is saying to do, but it's not what you want to do. I think very often it's that. But if you listen, you follow, you honor him, you stay safe. That is what Jesus is talking to them. He's just saying, man, I know that you can do this. See, Jesus was saying to this, and like, do what Jesus says, do what he wants with the right heart. All of these are positive. Okay, the next thing. This is the second part of the commendation. Like I said, I had to break this commendation up because it's just so rich. This is verse 9. He says, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews and are not, they lie. I will make them come down and bow at your feet, and I will make them know, listen, listen, that I have loved you. What did Jesus just say? Those who operate with a spirit of evil will bow before you if you honor him. That's what he just said. I will make them know by your success that I love you. Amen. That's powerful. That is like really powerful. Like I think, man, God, I wish I would walk in that. Like when I studied, I was like, God, can I have that one? No, seriously. Can we all do that together? Jesus, can I have that one? Because that, that's a pretty good one. The people who are opposed to you, the people who walk in evil, that they'll know that you're God's favorite because of how he loves you. I joke with you guys all the time, man. I know I'm God's favorite. Truth is, God has a lot of favorites, amen? He doesn't like me more than you. He loves us all, and he wants us all to walk in fullness with great success. He says, man, I'm going to make them know that I've loved you. Synagogue of Satan, very simply, this is hypocrisy. This is Jews pretending like they were Christians. They were constricting people, making them follow the law and so forth. Jesus said, man, they're going to come and bow. Jesus is releasing authority that he wants us to do his work in, wants us to walk in that authority. And he says, man, I'm going to prove to you your position by how I love you and how you love others through me. That's super powerful. The third part of the commendation, verse 10, he says, because you've kept my word, the word of my perseverance, 
I will also keep you from the hour of testing. That hour is which, which is about to come on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He says, I've kept you. I've stayed true to you even when it was hard. How you guys have experienced some hard? Can we just be honest? How many of you guys are in the middle of hard? <laughs> like some of us would say, I'm in the middle of hard. He says, listen, I'll keep you. I'll keep you listening. He says this from the hour of testing. Now, now I'm going to give you some, some scholarly thought on this. I'm not saying that this is actually Pastor James's read on it. I'm just telling you that you should pay attention to this biblically, doctrinally. He says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing. Many scholars believe this is attributed to the rapture. Okay, so I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing. Watch, because it says that the whole world will experience. The only time we know in history ever that the whole world would experience trouble is what Jesus speaks of in the Great Tribulation. So this would be one of the verses that lends to a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Now, I did not just say that I'm preaching that. I'm telling you, doctrinally, that's where guys who hold pre-trib rapture, that's one of the strong verses they stand on. When we get to that, which will be in a few weeks, I will share some of my thoughts and what maybe you should think about pre-mid and post-tribulation stuff, millennial, all-millennial. I'll get into all of that in the future, but this particular verse speaks directly to that, saying that he's going to keep you from the testing, and he says, to, and it's going to test everybody who dwells on the whole earth. That means everybody. Can you guys all say everybody? Everybody. everybody. Everybody's going to experience this. He says, but for Philadelphia, I'm going to pull you out. You're going to be preserved, protected, guarded in. Now, again, I want to go back to y'all and say, I know every one of us want to think this. I'm the church of, that's the type of church I am, right? Come on, come on, Jesus. We send people to Guatemala. We send people to Thailand. We help across town in San Bernardino. We, Jesus, we send people. Doesn't that make us that? Maybe sometimes. Maybe not others. I think the one thing that he said is because you think of yourself as weak, a right perspective of who you are, that you're not going to run up and say, this is us. I think there's aspects of this happening in our church. I do. But I also think there's areas we miss it at the same time. So, so I'm just encouraging you. Don't get so comfortable, is all I'm saying, with what you think you might be versus what God says that you are. Amen. Always listen. Always present your heart in a humble fashion and ask God what he thinks about it versus what you think. Now it comes to the third aspect of what we do, and that's the rebuke. What I love about this, no rebuke. Like this is one of two churches, no rebuke. Smyrna didn't get rebuked. Neither does Philadelphia. Every single church, like I said, thinks of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is really this. It's a culture of heart toward God. I don't, that, that's really what I think it boils down to. How do you want to serve and honor God? Outside of religion, outside of doctrine, what does Jesus say to do and will you honor that? That's really what I think it is. It's a culture of heart. So are you a Philadelphian? You're like, I'm a Philadelphian pastor. I'm sure of it. I gave to the missionaries. I know I'm that. Okay, are you giving Jesus your best? Just honest assessments. Are you giving him your best? Does he have your whole heart or just most of it? All right, real questions. Real questions. I'm not trying to beat you up, just trying to real questions. Is he the priority in your life? Is, is he, listen, preeminent? Is he first? 
There's other good things that are first, your wife, your husband, your kiddos, the things that you're doing, opportunities, job, new houses, whatever, nothing evil. Is he first? Is he, listen, preeminent? Is he the first thing? That's how you measure it. Because if he's the first thing, the rest is he's speaking. Then I would say this to you as a summary of be missional. Be missional. Be outward. Be the person who serves other people. Be willing to stop and help and serve and offer, whether it's neighbors or whomever. Be willing to be the church that went outside of themselves, even though they didn't gain anything from it. Just be Christ-like. Then he gives them the command. The command is in verse 11. He says this, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Again, a warning of somebody taking something that Jesus had given to them. Now, there's lots of ways to look at a crown. Different people have different perspectives of this. I'm going to give you a little breakdown of what I think it means. First thing is he said, hold fast. Literally, what he's saying is, I've made you powerful. Walk in it. Some of you guys should take that in. I'm just saying. I should take that in. I'm just saying. I've made you strong. I want you to hold fast. In other words, he's saying this, you can hold fast. That's actually what he's saying. He's not saying, you guys ever been on like a merry-go-round when you were a kid? I watched a video the other day. This guy flipped up a little moped on the side and he stuck the wheel on the merry-go-round. And he went, Wah. there's these guys hanging on things spinning. Also, you see bodies. They're flying. Listen, he's saying you have the ability to hold on to that. That's what he's saying. You have strength to hold on. Because I don't know, like, if I wanted to make that analogy real, the devil is the moped. <laughs> he's spinning your world really, really fast. But watch, watch. I don't know if you guys know this, just scientifically, I just might, maybe this will help you. You know that if you get to the center of that thing, you won't fly off. See, that as soon as you move away from the center, that's when something called inertia kicks in. And objects that are in motion stay in motion. And that's when you fling. And that all has to do with the amount of resistance you have to hang on to that merry-go-round. And I don't know about you, when it starts spinning fast, it'll break your grip, won't it? If you move to the center where inertia doesn't affect you, Jesus being the center, please catch the analogy, you'll be able to hold fast. He's saying, don't let go of that which you were given. And then he says, don't let anybody, don't, don't lose your crown. Don't let anybody take your crown. This is a Stephanos, which is a crown, a wreath. It's a garland. It's something that was given to somebody in victory. So in this culture, like the Roman games, somebody would stand on a platform and they would put a crown on them as the victor. That's the picture. Now, when, when the Bible speaks of Jesus's crown, Jesus's crown is not a Stephanos. Jesus's crown is a diadem, which means it's the crown of crowns. That's why in Revelation, in a couple chapters, we're going to be talking about casting our crowns at his feet because our crowns are the ones he gives. They're not ours to possess. He's the one who issued them. So the diadem, Jesus, issues the Stephanos to us, the crowns. He says, man, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast. Don't lose sight. Stay in the center. No one will take your crown if you do that. And then now the promise, and we're going to wrap up with the promise. Verse 12 of chapter 3, he said, He who overcomes, the one who is victorious, 
the one who nikaios in the Greek, Nike. I will make him a pillar in the temple of, of my God. A pillar is, is something that's firm. You can keep that on the screen. A, a pillar is something that's firm. A pillar holds up the building. We have two posts in the middle of our worship center. Those posts hold the building up. You take those posts out, the roof falls. Jesus is saying, my promise to you, if you'll walk this way, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Man, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? He's not saying you're going to be a physical pole. He's saying you're going to be somebody who is regarded as a person of strength and character and surrender and submission. You're going to have the attributes of a person who served Jesus well. And he says, I'm going to give you, uh, you're going to be a pillar in the temple of God, and you will not go out from it anymore. In other words, you're always going to be, listen, in the presence of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if every single day, every single moment, we were 100% in the presence of God? I don't know about you all, but I think, phew, that's amazing. Because I know the times that I touch into the presence of God, it's amazing. And I, sometimes like, I leave church and I go, man, it sure would be great if I could just get Steve Santosh and Autumn and the team to just like, put their instruments in the car and worship over me everywhere I go. Go to lunch, I got a worship team singing over it, like, presence of Jesus, this is awesome. Yeah, I, I think that would be, but it's not reality on earth, but Jesus says, live that way. He says, you won't go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God. You can take that off the screen now. I'll write on him the name of my, wait, wait, wait. I thought we knew God's name. I thought he's I am, isn't he? Okay, I'm pretty sure that said a new name. That means Jesus has a name that we don't know yet. See, to me, that's uh, like those are the nuances, the mysteries of faith that are super cool to me. Because I'm thinking, I'm going to discover something about who God is. I mean, granted, we're all still discovering that I don't like with all the studying I've done, this is not something I know. And I won't know this side of heaven. I, I love those mysteries. Like, that, it's, it's majestic. It keeps me hungering for, like, God, what are you up to? That is just really cool and really amazing. He goes on. He says, in the, in the name, well, I'll read the, the whole thing again. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of God. And he'll not go out from it anymore. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name, that's speaking of God, by the way. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So there's all of this, like, permanence that God is promising. There's presence that God is promising. There's possibility. All because, listen, listen, all because of this, you're operating in brotherly love. You're doing what he says to do. Now, Sometimes I think, like, I, I talk to people all the time, and sometimes I hear people say stuff like this to me. As long as I get to heaven, it's good enough. Which I, I don't know that I disagree with that, frankly, because I think heaven is going to be surreal. Sinlessness, the presence of God, no, no sun because God lights the place. I mean, there's streets of gold. I mean, and, and this is just God, John giving descriptors of what he's seeing. We don't know if that's actually what it is. He's trying to explain what he's seeing. And he's like, man, I don't get it. It's just awesome. So I know we're going to get to heaven and we're going to see some stuff that is cool. And getting there will be cool. But what about a pillar? What about a pillar? 
what about knowing the depths of God, his heart? What about, and I'm not talking about in, in, in heaven, I'm talking about living them on earth so that when you get to heaven, those discoveries are that much more profound, that much more powerful. I don't know. Things like that, I, maybe I'm just a weirdo. Maybe it's a type D personality kind of a thing. But when I read stuff like that, it compels me to try to discover it. It really does. So God, like it keeps me in this posture of heart. What do you want to do today, Jesus? What do you, like what's on your heart? Because whatever's on your heart, I'd like to be able to do that today. Now the days that I'm that intentional, anybody ever do that? God, give me divine appointments in the morning. How many of you guys pray that? You should start praying that regularly. God, it, divine appointments. Let me explain. God, whatever you're up to, make it cross my path. Watch and let me know it's you so that I'll be bold, courageous, loving, surrendered. Give me a divine appointment. You ever run into somebody and you just think, how random is that? Is God random? Let me help. No. God is intentional. It's not random. When you ask for those things, he adds them to your world adds them to your life. My encouragement to you is ask for those things. Like, like God is promising eternity. He's promising presence. He's promising permanence. He's promising his goodness. And he wants us to discover those things so that when we do get to heaven, it's not just I barely got in. It's I'm here. And he's saying, hey, guess what? You're a pillar. Like, really? I'm a pillar? Yeah. You want to know what my new name is? Like, that is fascinating to me. So wait, God, you've got a name that we, maybe it's not even a contextualized word that we would understand, even if he gave it to us now. I don't know that we would understand. See, some of you are going like, how weird, pastors being all like, ooh. No, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, stuff like that is amazing to me because as much as I've studied the scriptures, as much as I do know about God, there's so much more that I've not even, like, scratched the surface of. And then there's parts that he says stuff like this. You're not going to know till you're there. Right? That's, like a, that's like a birthday gift. You're going to get it. You just don't know what you're going to get. But he's God and he's good, so you know it's going to be good. So the church of Philadelphia, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear what he's saying. To the only church, not only did he not correct them, he just encouraged the way that they were doing faith and life. You know, as I was praying for this morning, and, and I do this every week, and God, what's the message within the message? What's the thing you want to encourage people's hearts with outside of what I preach? And, and I just felt so strongly when I was praying. He said, the open door and closed door thing. He said, I, I want to talk to them about that. And I go, okay, well, not like I'm the smartest guy in the world, but God, what, is it, what do you want to say? And he said this, he goes, many of them pray for this. If the door's open, I'll go. And he said, I don't want them to pray that way. I want them to pray, did I open the door? Because a lot of times this is what happens. We'll say, well, if the doors are open, I'm just going to walk through. I'm, I'm of the opinion that God wants us to discern whether he opened the door or if it's a distraction or a temptation. This makes sense at all, church. And I just really felt so strong, like he's saying, like, I don't want them just to go, like, if there's an open door, it's kind of like a fleece thing. Like, well, if the, if the wool is wet, then it must be God. If the wool is dry, then it must be God. 
If the door is open, then it must be God. I've walked through a few open doors that were not God. I think what he's saying is I want them to be in relationship with me so they can discern. Am I opening the door? Listen, and if I closed it, I want them to discern it so they don't try to push it open. I, listen, I understand the text says that no man can close and no man can, like, it's not like you can push open a closed door, but I've watched people stay in really frustrated seasons of life because they try to push open a door that Jesus has closed. I want you to, to I want to pray for us as we go today that you would have discernment. What is God saying about the open and the closed door? What is God saying about the season you're in? What is God saying about the direction of your life? Not just, well, if it's open, we just keep walking. Okay, that's not bad. But if God's saying, uh, this, you know, I'm, you know, you know, okay, so I'm going to take one more minute and then I'm actually going to pray for you guys. Somebody start counting 60, 50. <laughs> the devil stands before God accusing you day and night. That's his job. Sometimes God will say, yeah, you can, you can mess with James a little bit. Got a little bit of arrogance going on. You can mess with them a little bit. Let's keep them down. You know, I don't know why God said I just know that sometimes God will allow the devil to jack with you some. What if, what if the way that God did it was he said, I'm going to put some open doors. I'll let you put some open doors in front of him. And let's see if he actually asks me if they're from me. I'm, I'm, I'm making it up. I am just very much of the opinion that we shouldn't assume that every open door or every closed door is from God. We should be saying, God, I'm listening. Is this open because you opened it? Is this closed because you closed it? Is it closed and I need to kick it open? Because you're saying it's supposed because that means there's warfare involved. You guys understand what I'm saying? So my, my prayer for you is this. I want to pray that you're discerning, not just blindly moving forward. I'm wanting you to say, God, speak to me. I want to know if this is an open door or a closed door. I want to know if it's from you or if it's temptation. I want to discern your direction. Like the, the scriptures say so clearly that God directs the steps of the righteous. So God, are the steps I'm taking right now, are they directed by you or by, by me? Because I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you're doing. And I don't want the, the lapse in the wilderness when I go through a door that wasn't a door that you opened. This makes sense, church? Okay, that took about a minute. Now I'm going to pray for y'all. <laughs> All right. All right. So, Father, um, Philadelphia is such a rich church and so many things that, that each one of us can learn from looking at that particular church. God, one, I, I'm always reminded when I think of this that you're an encourager, that so often what you're saying over us is, just words of affirmation, words of encouragement, even correction that comes from you is actually uplifting. It's encouraging. God, I pray for discernment. I pray for a spirit of discernment to rest on all who are in the building, all who are online, all who will catch it during the week. I just pray that there would be a release of your spirit so we would like listen to what you're saying more than what we're just walking in or going through. God, help us to know if an open door is an open door because you opened it. A closed door is because you closed it. God, let us know where our heart is supposed to be as we're following you so that we would know, did Jesus do this or is this temptation? Did Jesus close this or is he calling for strength and courage and bravery? 
God, we want to be surrendered to you that we hear your voice. That when, that when you speak, you'd say, here's the way, walk in it. That we would know that that is the way to actually walk. So God, we don't maybe even deserve what I'm asking, but we want to honor you. And we want to live for you. We want to say, hey, we're, we want to be people of little strength, that we're not self-reliant, that we're relying on you, and that we walk through doors that you've opened. And we walk away from doors that you've closed. But most importantly, that we're in a relationship deeply enough with you that we would know the difference. So God, rest a spirit of discernment on each one of us that we would know the difference. Give us grace to honor you, to shine light for you, to be your, your children who live in a way that others see and they glorify God because we honor Jesus. God, thank you for this day, this time together, this time of worship. Pray as we go that we would go encouraged that there is just a great amount of favor from you on us and that we would walk in it and we would steward that favor well. Thank you for this day, the time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I love you guys. Bless you. Discernment. Pray, pray, pray. What's God saying? If you do need prayer this morning, there will be a couple of folks that will make themselves available to pray with you. Um, other than that, be blessed. Have a great day. And go Cowboys. Anyways, I had to sneak that in there. <laughs>